Hello and welcome to a brand new series of Beyond Busy, the show where we talk productivity, work-life balance and defining happiness and success. My name is Graham Alcott, I'm your host for the show and if you're a returning listener, if this has popped up in your podcast feed, then welcome back. It's really nice to have you with us and I really appreciate your your following of Beyond Busy and your support in... Um, uh, in, in listening to these episodes and your patience over the last few weeks while we've been away. And if you're a new listener to Beyond Busy, then welcome. The idea of this podcast is we talk about the interconnectedness of the themes of work-life balance, productivity, and defining happiness and success, and just all the tensions between those those three ideas. Uh, and basically talk to a really broad range of guests. The idea is not to just have famous people on. It's not to just have people on who have a book to promote. But it's about getting people from all different kind of backgrounds uh, into these deeper questions about productivity and motivation and uh, how you define success in the work that you do. So we're kicking off this series with Biet Bullman. He is the general manager of Evernote in EMEA, so Europe, Middle East and Asia. And um, he talks in this episode about his tips and tricks for dealing with email working remotely with small and large teams and the whole idea of virtual working. Obviously, he talks a lot about using Evernote and things that you can do with Evernote as well. And also uh, gets on to a topic that he calls triple overload. So he's talking about what he thinks will be an upcoming problem in how knowledge workers spend their time and just a trend that he's starting to see in terms of how people manage attention. So Biet Bullman is our guest for the first episode of the new series of Beyond Busy. And uh, I'm hoping that that will uh, be a signifier. So I went out to Zurich last week to meet with Biet's team at Evernote. And uh, we're talking about uh, quite a wide collaboration with Evernote and Think Productive, my company, and just working on various things. I will talk about those as and when they're sort of out there in the public domain, but watch this space, basically. I think I've always been a fan of Evernote, and I think it's one of those apps that uh, has really crossed over, not necessarily into the mainstream, but certainly it's gone beyond the community of productivity geeks and into a more sort of um, mainstream global recognition in the same way that perhaps, you know, Dropbox might be the other really obvious one that you sort of mentioned in that category. So, yeah, really excited to to do some work with Evernote over the next few months. And it was this is actually my first meeting with Biet. Uh, we were in a hotel lobby uh, in London a couple of weeks ago. We thought we were going to record it in the same place that I recorded the episode with Marianne Campwell. And then when we went there, that room wasn't available. And so we ended up at the last minute kind of scurrying down the road and finding a little hotel lobby that would have us and would allow us to just sit there and record. So you hear a little bit of the hotel background noise, which I think is always a nice thing. Uh, on these podcasts because it just kind of roots it in a time and place. So you join us uh, in a hotel lobby. And so without any uh, further rambling from me, let's get into it. Here's my conversation with Biet Bullman from Evernote. Uh, I'm here in London with... No, I just asked you. And now I'm like... <laughs> it's the, the moment of truth. So Bayart Bullman. That's perfect. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. Bayart. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Beat Bolman, and so you are um, the general manager of Evernote in Europe, right? Middle East and Asia. Mm-hmm. Uh, welcome to London. Thank you. It's great to be back. I've been an Evernote user. I've had periods where I've used Evernote loads, and periods where I've used it a, a bit less. But for anyone who doesn't know what Evernote is, Evernote is um, uh, an app that wants to make you and your teams more more productive. Our founder Stepan Pachikov, he was. Um, diagnosed with with a brain disease so he knew he's going to have a 
a big problem. He had uh, Parkinson. So he said, I need an extension to my brain. We strongly believe that productivity is something personal. Like you may achieve something the best way doing it X, someone else doing it Y. It really depends on your background, uh, where you are good at, where you are not good at. So Evernote lets you do what you want the way you want. And in a virtual team, this is absolutely crucial. There was this striking moment when I worked at Dell Computers, and overnight they changed the global organization of marketing. So, so far, I was in, in, uh, in Geneva. I had my local marketing manager, which I was reporting to, and overnight my manager was in Ireland at the right. EMEA okay. headquarters. Yeah. So Dell introduced virtual team management overnight without anyone being trained. So it was a good idea, but... It was a nightmare because it didn't work, of course. One of the most important things is you need to have the virtual team skill set. I always say when you hire a person, do not just check whether, let's say, you, you need an accountant. Is it a good accountant? Of course you need to check whether it's a good accountant. or But also check for virtual teamness or for virtual team skill set. Because an accountant could do a good job in a virtual team or could not. So you need much more self-driven people. I usually call them mini-CEOs who don't need instructions every morning because you're not always there. Sometimes they work in a Starbucks, sometimes they work from home, right, or in a train. They need to have much higher self-motivation level than others. And also in an office, in a normal office, a lot of things are taken for granted, you know. You know how your friend's desk look like because you see it every day. In a virtual team, you sometimes don't even know where, where the person is at the moment, right? Yeah. So you need yeah. much more trust because this person could just turn on chat so this green light is on. It looks like working, but he's not doing anything. <laughs> so you need to have much more target-setting approach. And you say, hey, by the end of the week, we want to have achieve X. When you do that, it's more or less up to you, but we need to achieve this, right? So it's a different management style that is also required. And last but not least, the most important thing is having a team charter or a code of conduct, how you use all the different communication channels you can have. The best example is always when your house is burning, are we going to send an email to the firefighter? (laughs) Probably not, right? So every channel has pros and cons. Mm. And once you talk about it, it's actually very obvious. But if you never talk about it, sometimes people discuss things over email which should never have been discussed over email, right? So we just made it very clear at Evernote what are the topics that we, that we discuss over email, what are the topics that go through chat, what are the topics we do face-to-face or video conference. We call this email hygiene, calendar hygiene, Slack hygiene, um, email hygiene, and so on. All these kind of things we have agreed on in a team setting, how we want to um, talk to each other. Simple things like, until when do I need to read emails? Because if it was important, I would call. So you took on the job of GM in Europe, and there'd been no one in post for a while, and one of the first things that you did coming in was to say to people, write down and tell us what annoys you about the way that you work, what's the barriers, what's unproductive, and then like taking that as the starting point to then develop this code of conduct. Absolutely. What was the process of of going through that to get to a code of conduct on the other side? Yeah, it's very important that you don't impose it to others, right? It has to come from them. So first, it's kind of this hurt and rescue kind of game, right? People, like certain things hurt. Let them tell you what it is. So I left the room and they could write on the whiteboard on the left-hand side 
what they really don't like about whatever. Could be email, could be how the meetings are run, could be whatever. Annual reviews, performance reviews, HR stuff, whatever. So they all wrote the things there. Then when I came in, we said, okay, what are the things that are within our power that we can change, right? All the rest we will give feedback to HQ. Thing like HR things we cannot change, but everything that is within our power, okay, you don't like it, how do you like it? How can we fix it? Mm. And that then at the end became our code of conduct with email hygiene, calendar hygiene, what are the topics we discuss through email, what not. S simple things like if it goes back and forth more than three times, like you send it, one reply and another reply, then you have to change the communication channel. We've all been in those situations of using email to get angry or get even, yeah. right? It's yeah. a, those so kind of situations. Never send an email when you're angry. Always yeah. sleep at night yeah. and then you say, oh my God. If I had sent this, I would be now in yeah, or, that situation. Or what you do is you first turn the machine to be like offline, and then you write the email as yeah. furiously as you can, but then yeah. it stays there yeah. for the whole evening before you press send or whatever. Yeah. But turning it offline first so that you can't slip and go on autopilot yeah. and send it. Like, this is why I yeah. always add the email address at the end. This is something yeah. I had to learn, because it happened to me that I already had the email address there, writing something, and just by accident... I, I clicked on send. <laughs> so that was my learning. I, the, the last thing I do, I add the email. Um, you've also written another book, um, which I, I just found the premise of it really interesting. So it's about being the CEO of your own life. Mm -hmm. um, so let's talk about that. But let's talk about your own uh, thoughts around productivity. Yeah. Um, so it's obviously something that you're surrounded by day to day, just working for Evernote. That's, yeah. that's, that's part of the deal, right? But how do you know when you're on form and how do you know when you've had a good week and how do you how do you uh, get a sense of your own success on a sort of day-to-day -day, yeah. week-to-week kind of basis yeah I strongly believe in the concept of power of small wins right I'm not the person who can walk uh, work for five years on a topic on an objective and never know where I am I need small digestible uh, steps and uh, objectives so that I can yeah. look at the end of the week at Friday evening when I go home was that a good week or not I usually say if people have a happy face Friday evening mm -hmm. they might be a bit tired tired can be in a good way like you did a lot of things that you really like yeah. so you can be tired and happy at the same time um, so if people go home happy with a happy face then we usually did a good job because we achieved something right? and this is the reason why we do on Monday morning not a classic team meeting so we talk each other through what we want to achieve by the end of the week and it's on the whiteboard so everyone can see we have yeah. check boxes you yeah. just check the box when you have done it so on Friday evening you just look at your at the whiteboard and you can see how good you were for the week um, and tell me when the opposite is true so when you know that you've had a bad week do you notice patterns in that in terms of when your own productivity dips what's the reason for that or like what's the thing that you need to change to get it back on track yeah so when I see that maybe only half of the things that I wanted to do this week didn't happen because a week is kind of you should be able to manage a week right it's not like five years that many things can happen over five years but the week should be manageable yeah. so if I cannot achieve more like if I only have achieved 50% of what I wanted to do something went wrong so either I had too many distractions so question why did I let other people distract me right um, maybe my priority setting was not well enough and so on. So this is really something that I just look at this whiteboard and see not enough checked boxes, right? Yeah. This is what I see from a rational point of view. From an emotional point of view, you usually know whether you're doing a good job or not. So if I don't feel great on a Friday afternoon, 
Uh, yes, of course, I can see it on this whiteboard, uh, missing checkbox. But yeah. I usually can can feel it, like um, running around, uh, not really thinking enough more, like running from one call or Slack or email to the other one, being the the slave of your tools and not you actually using the tools to help yeah. get your job done. Um, if I have this kind of feeling, then um, I have to say stop getting on the balcony to get the high level view and say what went wrong this this week and it's usually like simple things like taking on too many tasks like you should never have more than 60 or 65 percent of your calendar booked because the rest will be filled automatically by all the other small things unforeseen yeah. things delays uh, whatever right so if your calendar is already fully booked completely you're never going to have a good week And what's your own rhythm around um, checking in with that and looking at that? Do you do weekly reviews? Are you someone who's like sort of regularly scheduling in that time to get onto the balcony level? Yeah, I have a DNS do not schedule in my calendar every okay. Wednesday morning, two and a half hours, uh, to do actual deep work. I strongly believe in Carl Newport's book, Deep Work, um, because too many people just run in the hamster wheel and try to run faster and faster, but actually... You can be super productive and go bankrupt, but you went bankrupt in a super productive and efficient way because you went <laughs> into the wrong direction, yeah. right? So doing things productive yeah. doesn't mean that you do the right thing, right? Yeah. So I strongly believe in this three R rule. Do the right thing, do the right thing the right way, and do it at the right time, right? Mm. So if one of the three R's is not done, then it usually is not a success. And what, what do you think your own weaknesses are in terms of what are the things that you're still working on what are, the, what, what are the things that you really think to move you to the next level in terms of your productivity you need to work on more yeah I really need to that's why I do all this checkbox uh, thing because I have so many interests like I could read every day 10 hours articles play around with new tools yeah. talking to yeah. people about new ideas and then I would have a seven page long to-do list right so <laughs> my challenge is the different interests I have. It's so fascinating to do things or to try out new things and I have to make sure that I say, okay, what is now the what are the two or three things that I absolutely want to do by the end of the week? And then I give myself half a day at least a week as a as a playground. I uh, do some teaching at uh, different universities in Switzerland and in, in the UK. And people always ask, hey, what's the next big thing, right? So 10 years ago, when I was at Google, it was mobile. Mobile first. Everyone was mobile, mm. has to be mobile, right? Yeah, that seems like almost, uh, like it's bizarre that people talked about mobile first as if it was like a big revolution. Like, yeah. And that's just, it feels like five minutes ago that people were having a conversation all the time. Yeah. Absolutely. But this mobile first kind of yeah. now gone. Be, um, mobile is very important, but it's now a big pillar. It's here. Yeah. It's not a trend. So, so what's the next big thing? And usually when you look at, at, at history, you have good mega trends and you have bad mega trends. And usually if you have a bad mega trend, a new good mega trend will uh, come up to fight the bad megatrends and okay. um, having this pattern in mind I was looking okay instead of looking what is the next megatrend maybe I should look at what is the next big issue hmm. that we will have and then I did some research talked to people had some deep work sessions and then I figured out wow it's this massive overload that the knowledge workers in the western world suffer from and then I did some, some deep dive and really found nice articles and research that show that we all suffer from a huge overload but we are not re really fully aware of it so I tried to get some, some numbers and then I found them <clears throat> so it's uh, 14, 2, 
80 and 5. These are the four numbers that describe the triple overload. 14 okay. is, according to IDC, in 14 months, data volume on planet Earth will have doubled. All the data on planet Earth we have today will be doubled. It's just amazing. Wow. Just, just look at the data you have in YouTube. Right? And is that speeding up? So is that going to become 12 yeah. every 12 months and then every 8 months? And then, and then 6 and yeah. 2. And uh, wow. they say by 2022, 2025, it might be on a monthly basis. Huh. If the Internet of Things really takes off, it might, might be on a monthly basis. Wow. But let's stick to 14 months. Like in a bit more than a year, we have double amount of data on planet Earth. Just keep that part for the yeah. The second number I said was 2. On average, a knowledge worker spends two to two and a half hours per day searching on the cell phone, the laptop, the computer, mm. intranet, extranet, and so on. Not at once, but spread over the day. That is 25% of your payroll cost. So I ask CEOs, hey, is 25 to 30% of your payroll cost, is, is that important to you? Mm. And they, they say, of course, it's yeah. a lot of money. So then I have something for you, and they tell them exactly the story I'm telling you now. Because two hours already now, where will it be in a year or two? When data is doubling, we will be searching more. Yeah. One day, you will have 40% of your salary cost just for your people searching. Can you stay competitive with that? I don't think so. So this is something that we have to address, right? So 14 is number of months to double data. Two is um, two hours per day. And an average knowledge worker spends searching for information. Then uh, 18 uh, 80% is, on average, a knowledge worker spends 80, so 80% of the time in the inbox, doing email or in meetings. Collaboration, hmm. email, meeting, all this kind of thing. That's a lot of time. So you don't have a lot of time left to actually think, to do deep work, to actually build, right? Some people run from one meeting to the other, can never do what what they should do, like they have to do, but they never do it because they spend all day long in meetings. Yeah. So that's a that's a big issue because you have good outcome and good to dos, but you don't have the time to execute them. It's a getting things done issue, right? And the last number is uh, five. Every three to five minutes, an average knowledge worker gets interrupted. Could be um, a notification for email, Slack. Uh, Facebook Messenger, Instagram, cell phone, whatever, right? Someone yeah. calling you in the office. I'm surprised that number isn't like half, <laughs> like yeah. half a minute or something. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's as I said, it's, it's, it's between three and uh, and five on average. Mm. Sometimes okay. it's, it's so more. For a lot of people, it'll be, yeah, will be much more frequent. Yeah. yeah. So um, what that means is research has shown when you get interrupted, it takes 10 to 15 minutes to actually get back where you were. Right? But then you have a three times higher failure rate because sometimes you thought, oh, I have already done this, but you haven't. You just wanted to do it. Then you got interrupted. You go back and you, and you continue at the wrong place. So you right, make okay. mistakes because yeah. you thought, you, I've, I've already finished this task, but you haven't. You just wanted to do it. So if you get a lot of interruptions, you have higher failure rate. You make more mistakes. Hmm. Right? And it's very tiring. Most burnouts are based on too many interruptions. Right? you start sending a, writing an email six times because someone calling you, someone uh, 
texting you, someone slacking you, someone whatever. Yeah, that, that was the example I was thinking of in my head there is, you know, you you start the replies to the email or whatever and then you get interrupted and you sort of think you press send. You, yeah. you thought that you'd press send and then yeah. you haven't and then you and come back later. Not out, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So all these things, this is what I call the triple overload. You have the data overload, the communication overload and the cognitive overload, all this interruption. Mm. And if you don't do anything about it, it will yeah. really hit us hard, like all the knowledge workers in the Western world. And I strongly believe, like, this is this is this negative megatrend. And the positive megatrend is artificial intelligence. Because artificial intelligence can help you at least reduce that part significantly. And that's why I'm so passionate about Evernote, because the example I gave you in the very beginning, if you type in an idea, kind of a brainstorming, and then Evernote tells you, hey, someone else in a company has already done something similar, yeah. that is yeah. artificial intelligence and machine learning trying to reduce your search time and your uh, duplication of work. Right? Further, we use artificial intelligence to enrich your work. If you write something in Evernote and you have clipped a, a news article, you have taken a picture of a nice slide at the, at the keynote speech of someone, you have a paper notes that you took a picture, Evernote can all analyze this, even handwriting notes, right? even text in an image. And then it goes external and says, hey, there's a new Wall Street uh, article that came out last week that is highly relevant with the content of your current note. Yeah. So you can only search what you miss. But if you don't know that some, something exists that would be a value add, you don't search for it because you don't know it, right? True. If you don't know yeah. it, you cannot miss it. So Evernote is actually Googling 2.0. It searches for you things that you don't know that exist and, and shows it to you and makes you much more productive because you find information that you would never have searched for, but it's useful because it's, it's uh, relevant. And all these things, uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning, will help reduce this, this, uh, this triple overload to get you more quality time back, that you can actually do what the human brain is best at, being creative, talking, having ideas, bringing ideas to the next level, all the things that a robot cannot do. You should spend yeah. more time for that. For sure. I mean, I, I'm always struck when you get into the, the AI discussion of some of the stuff that I guess humans always arrogantly thought we would always be best at and then yeah. you, you see over time that AI could actually play oh, yeah. a much bigger role in that stuff and, and, and it is coming but then do you, yeah like there, there is still this kind of I think there's something really missing in how uh, business and politics and society in general is looking at the interface between yeah. AI and humans like it feels like there's um, there's just just not the talk about how can actually the AI stuff really like help productivity. It's kind of all, it's always like seen as a sort of all or nothing thing of either we're the best at everything and this is how work is now and yeah. wanting to kind of hold on to that reality or yeah. it's predicted in the complete opposite way of actually we'll all be out of work and there'll be nothing to yeah, do. Yeah, everyone will be uh, and unemployed. No one sees and that middle point. I, I, yeah. I think there's just not enough talk about that middle point of how do you move from let's say working five or six days a week to working two or three days a week and, yeah. and let's say what, like that example you just gave there of rather than having to search having treating AI almost like as a sort of personal assistant to yeah. the, the work that you're doing as well like. absolutely it really remembers me of my, of my grandfather who said you know he always used this red wine example red wine it's not something good or something bad 
it's the dose that makes the poison, right? If you have one glass of wine every second day, it's not a problem. <laughs> right, okay. If you have five, bout, five wine glasses an hour, then yeah. it is a problem. Right. But it's still wine. We still talk about wine. So yeah. wine is not the problem. It's the dose, mm. right? And the same is with artificial intelligence and, 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 and IT overall. You can use everything for the good and for the bad. Yeah. You can use an airplane to transport people to, to a nice beach, which is great. You can use an Evernote to uh, uh, an, an airplane to actually kill someone. Mm. It's bad, but it's still an airplane. So we should focus more on the usage and not about yeah. black and white, right? It's not good or bad. It's how, how you use it. And politics has to sometimes understand a bit more what it actually means, especially algorithms. Yeah. can be so great. Like for cancer research, algorithms, if you had more data of more people around the world from different countries about symptoms, if you could work with all those data, the algorithms could figure out many more things and we would make much more progress. So, mm. But, of course, you don't need the name of a person, you just need the symptom. So you can, all, the, all yeah. the kind of things. So it's not, data is not good or bad. Algorithms are not good or bad. It's like the red wine. It's how you use it. So one of the topics I talk about a lot with this podcast is work-life balance. And you talked, uh, one of the, that stat that you mentioned before there about uh, 80% of your time is either in the inbox or it's in meetings. Yeah. And you know, you, there's all of these distractions sort of coming your way. Um, it really interests me not just how uh, you make like how people make time boundaries around that to say okay so these are the times I'm going to have downtime or yeah. family time whatever yeah. um, but then just the fact that even when you plan that downtime you might still be might still be kind of feeling a bit frazzled and fried from yeah. what you've been doing Attempted, the other day. Uh, yeah. or you might still have the emails coming through on your phone so even though you've sort of you know made that intention yeah. uh, it doesn't quite work out that way so um, are there any particular observations around work-life balance that, having done the research that you've done, you found kind of really work for you personally, like in your personal life around that? Stuff? Yeah, so one thing for me is like I turn off almost all the notifications, like email. Email can never be urgent, like mm, this firefighter yeah. thing, right? Yeah. So if it's not in, uh, urgent, you don't need a notification. So you were working at Dell, were you, at that time? Yeah. yeah. So you're then working at Dell, you're surrounded by people, presumably some of whom don't necessarily they're not ready to take that step and go on that journey yeah. with you so I, I'd imagine there'd be loads of people listening to this who totally agree with you let's treat email as non-urgent but they're working with people who do treat it as yeah that's why you need thing. this team charter yeah even, even with your partner I have with agencies with PR agency I have a team charter with my partners that we okay. agree how I like my team works yeah. with our PR agency because it has to be like this and to what that leads at the end of the day is we need a driver's license for communication look if you look at driving a car, it's so good that we all have to take at least a couple of driver's lessons. Yeah. We have to pass the test because just the question, do we drive on the left or on the right-hand side? If that was not clear, a small thing. <laughs> can you imagine the chaos every single day on the street, right? Yeah. And also having uh, that, that you need to turn your head when you change uh, the slope and so on. Just small things make a big difference, right? So we, we have this principle of a driver's license with car, right? But with online, with email, with Slack, with text messages, WhatsApp, nobody has a communications license, mm. right? We need a, um, such a mini training that people actually know, oh, email was not built to discuss. Email is not, a, not archiving, it's not a depository, right? Because you cannot find it or you have duplication of work. Someone sends you an email and me, you have a Word version one, I have a Word version yeah. two, I continue... 
I make version two of it. You also, you also have a version two, but we have two different version two because it's in, it's in our inbox. All this shows actually it doesn't make sense and it's not rocket science. But if you never talk about it, it becomes a big chaos. Driving a car and drive on the left or the right hand side is not rocket science. Yeah. But if you don't fix yeah. it, it's, it's a big chaos every single and day. And it's about, I guess, taking that from being something that's under the surface and never yeah. really discussed to yeah. being very explicit. And, yeah. and so you were saying you would, you would do that even with the PR Pardon. company that's, that's yeah. working with Evernote. So those people are not even Evernote employees. No. You're having that conversation yeah. with them at the very beginning? When you yeah, in the very beginning. This is how yeah. we work. When do we use video conference? When do we use that? Because yeah. if not, and, you, and my experience said, they are grateful. They say, you know what? Actually, we're going to do that in our company too. And with other clients. Our partners and, yeah, do that right. also yeah. with them because it simplifies everyone's life if mm. you know what you communicate when and how and what is urgent and not. Like. And now having that, that being able to switch off mentality at Evernote and not having notifications on your phone, yeah. um, obviously you're the boss, right? So are there other people in the organization who like flinch at that notion or have there been times where that has caused you a problem well you can always miss something right but this is something that you just have to get used to because there's Mm. so much information on planet earth you miss more than you think right there's so much going on just now next door I don't know what's going on is that important to me maybe not but maybe yes but I don't see it so I, I miss it it How do you get comfortable stuff. with missing stuff? Because I think that's something that a lot of people really struggle with. Oh, yeah. Uh, it has something to do with, with focus. Right? Yeah. If I focus on two or three things, then there I want to stay ahead and really know what's going on. And all yeah. the other things, I hire people who are complementary to me. Right? I don't need five times me in a team. Mm, right? yeah. I have different people. So I'm good at two or three things. And people know that. So I take care. I'm kind of the um, ambassador of these things. Greg in my team is very good at writing and, and layout, so we all know he's going to take care of that. Right? We have other people in the team who are very good at something else, so make sure you have a team surrounded by people who complement each other, and then just make sure you are, like you have your main job, but you are the team ambassador for this topic, and you yeah. are the team ambassador for another topic, and then they will take care and tell you in the one-on-ones that you have what you need to know about a certain topic, but it's filtered. Yeah. Right? I filter an element, someone else filters someone else. It just makes this very clear, and then you reduce so much workload, so much communication, uh, overload. Uh, again, it's a driver's license. We need a team driver's license, and we need a communication driver's nice. license. In, okay. in, my, in my book, uh, I introduced a PDP approach, personal development plan approach, where I have, on one hand, a double mind map that forces you to figure out about private and business at the same time. Because a lot of people make this mistake. They say, oh, I just want to make career development and focus on that. An example, if the company wants to pay you the evening MBA for the next two years, that may look great from a career perspective. But if you have five kids at home right yeah, now, right. it's just the wrong moment. Yeah, Again, this, yeah. this, this triple R rule, the right thing, mm. the right way, and the right time. It's not the right time. Right? Yeah. So by having a double mind map where you start, what are my private aspirations and things I'm good at or not good at, but I want to become good at, and the same for, for, the career, for the career, and you have it on one large sheet of paper, that allows you for the first time to see both at mm. once and not do silo dreaming in now career and the next year think about about private and then it's not interconnected having this on one sheet of paper opens your eyes and I want to talk about one other thing in the book that really resonated with me which was the idea that 
So you make goals, and then you have somebody whose job it is to challenge you. Yeah, so you challenge. Talked about you. in the book, the idea of someone writes, "I want to get an MBA on the, yeah. uh, on like as one of their goals," and then the role of the person who's challenged them is like, "Well, why do you want to get an MBA? Is it just because everyone's talking about this in the world, yeah. or is there some exactly. kind of other reason?" Uh, and that just really resonates with me because I think it's often a thing that you do sort of in private isn't it like the idea of setting up your new year's resolutions or your goals yeah. for the next six months you tend to be doing that on your own maybe you yeah. share that with a partner or something but often it's something that's done like on a solitary basis yeah I think. Um, where did that idea come from and is that something that you you do well, yourself regularly i developed that and over time i just figured out when i started writing my book and doing my research about how to manage life in a more meaningful way i said um, sometimes there are things that you don't know that you don't know them called those blind spots right yeah right so you can do whatever you want your blind spot you don't see them someone else mm. has to tell you right sometimes people are always playing with a finger in their hair right every time every minute <laughs> And if you tell them that they do that, they say, no, you have to film them, right? It has become a habit, a hidden habit. Yeah. They don't know it. And uh, so you have to know what are your blind spots and only other people can tell you that. And also sometimes you are good at something, but you undervalue yourself. Sometimes you overestimate, sometimes you underestimate mm. yourself. And both is important to know. So I've been the challenger of many people at Dell and also at Evernote. People say, hey, can you challenge this this uh, life map with me with the two uh, mind maps and then yeah. just ask me some questions and sure it's always interesting to see what other people think and this example that I actually used in, in the book is the, the guy 25 years old who wrote I want to have an MBA and they really said okay why and they said yeah and then I said no why why did you write MBA there and mm. then after two or three minutes he said you know I don't really know why. Yeah, but, but there, there is a reason. Maybe it's a yeah. subconscious reason. And I, I challenged him and said, did you just M write MBA because everyone else is now talking about it? And then he had to admit, to be honest, yes. So, mm. And I call this go with the flow. If you just go with the flow, you always do what everyone else is doing, what currently is written in the newspaper, what is apparently to be cool or important. And that's all good, but then you're not yourself. And you're also defining success by somebody else's measure rather yeah, than your own. Yeah, it's right? not you. And yeah. then you have the midlife crisis because then you yeah. figure out, I always went with the flow and never did things that are important to me. So I then challenged him and said, hey, what are you good at? And after a while, I figured out that he likes numbers. So he then decided to do a master in finance, which is a much better fit for him. But he didn't think about it. He always mm. fell into this go-with-the-flow trap. And thanks to a challenger who said, hey, putting the finger into the wound, hurting a bit, but waking him up, make sure he's out of the comfort zone, feeling uncomfortable for a moment. Thanks to that, he now does the right thing and he's grateful. This is back to your Super. hurt and rescue. Yeah, this hurt idea. and rescue principle, yeah. which I really, really love. Yeah. How do you find the best people to be your challengers? Yeah, um, I always suggest to have three of them and make sure they're not of the same type or style, like someone maybe who knows you from work someone maybe who is in your neighborhood or someone yeah. who knows you from your hobbies and also try to find people with different educational backgrounds different uh, lifestyles so to make sure that you cover as many blind spots kind yeah. of detection so one of the things I do with my books is I'll do a I'll do a, a part of the process is a conference call yeah. where I give um, probably about 20 or 30 people the first draft of the book yeah and then on conference calls of three or four people, I'll say, right, we've got an hour. I want you to criticize the hell out of this book. Everything, and just yeah. like really probe it and 
and come up with where the weaknesses are. And my line is always, I would rather hear this from you in the next hour yeah. than read it from a stranger on an Amazon one-star review in yeah. six months' time. So that's yeah. the line I give yeah. in order to make it comfortable for them to, to be, be honest e- and, and... And some people really get that and respond to that, but other people still find this idea of being critical or being or challenging or, yeah. or, or being, in a sense, kind of negative, just a really yeah. uncomfortable thing to do to yeah. another human, right? So is there a way... Do you, I mean, do you find that is the same when, when you've asked people to do that with you? Or like, yeah. And, and how do you get One important it? thing is with those challenges, you can have good challenges who wouldn't perform well, right? You need to have good challenges who perform well, and those who perform well are those who talk cash. When you choose the calend- uh, your, your, your challenges, choose people that are famous for telling the truth. Right? Okay. This is key. Though, yeah. Like, of course, I need to have a different background, but... Um, if you know someone who is always talking kind of around the topic and, and talks to you five too, hours and, and doesn't even say yeah or like too many kind of would it maybe potentially be yeah. the case that you could have done maybe <laughs> that one sounds day. very British yeah like <laughs> and uh, just try to find people who are very cash kind of this talk cash to the table like okay. I like this and I don't like this whether yeah. I'm not right and they're not millions of them but they are some of them mm. and just think about who is always to the point right not maybe when talking to a to the to the journalist of the tv or whatever but yeah. when you talk to him like yeah. who, who is cash for the good and for the bad these are the the challenges that you need of course you then also brief them kind of like i usually say what happens in vegas stays in vegas so what happens in the room stays in the room okay so whatever you discuss yeah. with the challenges between you and, and yeah. this challenger but just like you i usually start with a list i say hey try to find people who are good at many various different things right and then you downsize it to who talks cash and mm. honest i had a talking cash thing so it's yeah. not necessarily about who's who you're trying to emulate or who should be your mentor it's more about no. who has that not way of thinking or yeah. that sort of approach that they're gonna be yeah. able to sort of you know get to the Absolutely. The probing and the unpicking. and They and may say, you, hey, yeah. on, on your life map, you wrote that you are good at X. I don't think so. You are not mm. even average on X. And you come up with two or three examples. That, yeah. Oh, my God, maybe I overestimate, right? But <laughs> I have had people who said, hey, but on your life map, something is missing. You are very good at, let's say, conflict solving in different, uh, like with different nationalities. Oh, really? Do you do you do you think so? Yeah, and I came up with a couple of examples. Oh, uh, was well, super flattering. Oh, I didn't really think about that. So it can be mm. both. Like, like, hey, you overestimate or you underestimate yourself. Both is important to have on this sheet of paper yeah. to have the blind spot uh, under control. Right? Nice. It doesn't mean that you need to fix all of them, but being aware of it helps you navigate through the different things. Right. I think that's a perfect place to end it. Um, obviously, most people will know of Evernote, but um, and we'll put your details of the book um, yeah. in the show notes as well. But uh, maybe just at the end here, just give us the where can people find out more about you and about the books and about Evernote, and just give us yeah. That spiel. Um, one thing is you can just go, of course, to LinkedIn, type in my name, Beard Bullman Evernote. There's only one guy at Evernote with my name, <laughs> so that's quite uh, quite easy to find. You can also then Google the name of of my book, like. Um, need to manage a virtual team and my name you find it or uh, um, become the CEO of your own life and my name and then you will find the homepage of my book where you can get a, a free pre-reading you can see the table of content there's even a video there is a one-page overview 
So lots of things you can look at before you actually buy it. Cool. So thanks for hanging out. And I'm um, looking forward to chatting more and um, developing this partnership with Evernote. I look forward to it too. Cool. So thanks again to Beat for being our first guest of the new series. Always good to kick off the new series with a really solid productivity episode. And, you know, who better to have on than the guy who is running Evernote in Europe. So uh, really good to have Beat on the show. And like I said before, really looking forward to, to doing some work with Evernote over the next few months. It's really exciting. So a few other things. Let's just go through a few quick things. So if you have not been on the website, getbeyondbusy.com yet, uh, please do go and check that out. You'll find a whole bunch of stuff. Um, there's actually some quite comprehensive show notes for this episode because there was just a lot to talk about with Beat. So you'll find links to his books, Become the CEO of Your Own Life, Need to Manage a Virtual Team. Uh, you'll find uh, the link to BetterWorks on there. You'll find the link to Cal Newport's Deep Work stuff on there and a whole bunch of stuff around uh, Biet's triple overload that he was talking about. So all of that is on the show notes at getbeyondbusy.com. So please do go and check that out. Uh, this episode is sponsored by Think Productive, which is also my company. Uh, so if you don't know what Think Productive does by now, or if you're new here, uh, please go and check out thinkproductive.com. And if you run a team or if you're someone who needs help with your own productivity and work-life balance, then we can help. And we have a whole bunch of workshops and uh, increasingly online resources as well. So there's an academy at thinkproductive.com as well, uh, which you can join and just get access to some different online resources as well, uh, just by giving your email address. It's free. So please do go and check out thinkproductive.com. Uh, and also just over the last few weeks, I've been in, in conversations with my publisher about some future books as well. So we've been talking about the, the Beyond Busy book and also a couple of other books around productivity. So I've got a, a sort of final meeting in December to really flesh out the timescales for these various different books. Uh, but really excited about that. And if you haven't read any of my stuff, then I would uh, implore you to go and check out Productivity Ninja, which is my main book, and also uh, the follow-up study skills book, if you, if you know people who are, who are studying for you know GCSEs or A-levels or, or degree-level uh, study, uh, then there's a book called Study Ninja. All the science about productivity and memory and procrastination and all that distilled down into a very easy read. So go and check out Productivity Ninja and Study Ninja. Um, I think that is all the plugging that I can possibly do uh, for this episode. Other than say, I feel like I sound quite tired today. It's because last night I was, um, I went out to uh, the West End with with Mike Vardy. So Mike is uh, one of the the sort of original productivity podcasters on the web, really. And I came across him years ago when he was running a podcast called Productive Ardy, which I love the name of still, even though he changed it. And he's currently the productivityist. And um, yeah, he's uh, based in BC in Canada. It was his first trip to London. Uh, so great hanging out with Mike and meeting him in person for the first time. And um, I'm sure we'll, I've been on Mike's podcast before. And I think next time when he's here a bit longer, we'll try and get Mike on, on Beyond Busy, I'm sure as well. Uh, so go and check out Mike's stuff. It's all really good uh, and nice to, to hang out with him. And I was also watching the play Oslo in the West End, which is uh, featuring... Uh, a friend of mine, Anthony Schuster, who if you're an audiobook fan and you've you've come across, I was, gonna, I was about to say, if you've read Productivity Ninja on audiobook, but you don't read an audiobook, do you? Uh, but if you've consumed or listened to Productivity Ninja on the audible audiobook form, uh, then you'll have heard Anthony's voice because he's also the person who reads and narrates that book for me. 
Uh, I remember when he was doing it, he was like texting me going, you love a, you love a three things in a list uh, thing in your writing, don't you? Like, He's basically pointing out all the flaws in my writing in text messages while he was narrating my book. But that was a lot of fun. Uh, so Anthony's in Oslo in the West End until January. And honestly, it's terrific. It's, it's a play about the sort of 1992, 1993 um, Oslo uh, peace talks between the Israelis and the Palestinians. So it doesn't sound like the most obvious topic for a play, but honestly, uh, incredible, really, really good. And um, if you're looking for something to go and see uh, in the West End, and I think also on Broadway, I think there's a, a New York uh, one that was the original uh, it's a fairly new play, obviously, uh, but really, really great. So there, there's a little tip for you uh, if you're a theatre goer and you're in London or New York or somewhere else where Oslo is coming near you. Uh, so I think that's it for this episode of Beyond Busy. We're going to be back to a fairly normal schedule of uh, basically every fortnight on a Thursday, we'll be releasing a new episode. And if you haven't subscribed, please do go and do that. That just means that every time a new episode comes out, it just pops up in your inbox. And I am resolving to get better with my own marketing for this series because I'm really terrible at it. I make this because I love making it. And uh, we, we've we been growing the subscriber list over the last uh, sort of, certainly over the last few months, actually, it's really kind of risen o- over the last series, over series three. Uh, but I really don't push it enough. And there's lots of people even that I know who don't know that Beyond Busy exists. So that kind of shows that I need to go and do more. Uh, so please do help me with that. Please retweet my tweets about Beyond Busy and please put it on your LinkedIn feed and all that sort of stuff. Uh, it'd be really great to uh, keep that growth going over this series. Uh, and thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning. And we'll be back in two weeks' time uh, with a very special episode, uh, which is going to go out on the Remembrance Day for Lost Species on November the 30th. So that'll be the next episode of Beyond Busy. And until then, thanks so much for listening. Uh, it's been great having you and see you in two weeks' time. Bye for now. Thank you.